Welcome to Three and Out, your national NFL podcast featuring three sports media pros. Me, Ty Shelter from 538, joined by Samantha Bunton of NBC Sports and Michael Shoddy of PickWatch.com. Last week, we had our huge 100th episode with Detroit Lions punter Jack Fox and the Athletics' Michelle Beadle, and the response has been amazing. Thank you all for all of your support along the way. Now, if you want to respond to us live and in person, you can do it. 9 o'clock ET tonight, every Monday night on the Halftime app. That's right. Just download the Halftime app on your app store or at thehalftime.app. And once you get all settled in with Monday Night Football, bring up your phone and join in. You can ask us questions either via text in the chat or with your actual voice while the game goes on. It's just like the cast, except we prepared ahead of time and you're the celebrity guest. So take a second right now. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, or especially iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Every single Apple review we have is five stars. We're up to 40 of them now because we bring great insight, analysis, takes, and guests twice a week, every week. I'm, no, wait, I'm sorry. Now, three times a week, every week. So get ready. Join us tonight. Get ready for our key takeaways this week. Tons of huge stories, tons of huge games. Shadi, what is your number one key takeaway coming out of this weekend's action? I want to ask you guys... Not necessarily how did the Chiefs beat the Cowboys? Because lots of people predicted that. I went Cowboys, but lots of other people went Chiefs. So I'm not going to pretend like that wasn't the outcome that many expected. But I want to ask you guys, how do you think it was this dominant? I've got a hot take for you maybe at the end of this segment. But this was maybe one of the more convincing drubbings of a quality team over another quality team that we've seen all season. Um. I think to me, it's in a 10 point game, I don't want to call it a drubbing. Um, I just think Kansas City defensively, I guess we'll say, really, really showed up in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, they blitzed the heck out of Dak Prescott, which is usually not a great strategy, um, but it actually worked really well this time. So I think they've come a long way. It's, it's sort of an interesting. Uh, thing to look at Mahomes here at 260 yards and an interception. It's essentially the same performance that everyone has been attacking over the last couple of weeks and say, oh, the Chiefs, oh, yeah, something's wrong with Patrick Mahomes. He's washed. He didn't really look any better, particularly. It just worked better. So I think some of this is about Dallas being unable to adjust to the situation they found themselves in, particularly on offense. Um, there was some clock management stuff here, which is pretty powerful. Of course, when Mike McCarthy is involved, didn't love the offensive play calling there either. But I, I think that the Chiefs defense is essentially carrying their offense at this point, which is so weird to say, because that is the exact opposite of everything that we thought we knew about the Chiefs. But Dallas just, I mean, they, they just laid a little bit of an egg here, but it's only a 10 point loss. I mean, I do think the Cowboys are going to be all right. And I want to pump the brakes a little bit on the Chiefs because I'm not quite sold that they are completely fixed yet. Yeah, that's that's my take too, is that the Chiefs haven't fixed all of their offensive problems, got off to a hot start. That's great. Um, but they're, they're still not the high revving Ferrari for four quarters that we're used to Uh, the Cowboys. I think this hurts more for the Cowboys because they were trying to establish themselves as this team uh, that was, you know, maybe the best in the NFC, a serious Super Bowl contender, you know, team that's going to go to places and win in December and in January. 
And this this was a bad spot to, to draw the Chiefs, probably, but it's a bad spot to lay an egg against them. And I do think it's more of a Cowboys loss than a Chiefs win when we talk about key takeaways for how the rest of the season is going to go. Yeah, and I think it's a drubbing not in terms of the score, which is closer than the game ever looked. The game never looked like a 10-point game when the the Cowboys never scored a touchdown. Um, instead, what I think happened in this one, if, if there was if, if there truly was a drubbing, if there truly was a, a dominant piece of this game, it was the defense, Steve Spagnolo-led defense against a Kellen Moore-led offense. And if you watched this game closely. And if you rewind, there was just a lot of confused Kellen Moore and even more confused Dak Prescott. Like this offense looked listless from the jump. It did not know what was coming. It was not prepared. It did not make, you know, uh, any alterations to sort of try to counterpunch what was going. It was just an offense that a couldn't get a ground game rolling. Uh, so they were kind of, you know, confused there. And then the blitz was coming and, and some cloud coverage was coming and they didn't really know what was happening. And in a year when everyone is trying to give Kellen Moore a head coaching job somewhere, and in a year where the Chiefs defense has been much maligned, this was one of those, just an older, more experienced, been around the block a couple of dozen times coaches took a younger, less experienced, less capable coach behind the woodshed. And I don't think this has much to say about the uh, offensive personnel for Dallas, except for maybe some of the injuries they have on the offensive line. But this has everything to do with, at the end of the day, sometimes better coaching does win. All right, Samantha, what's your key takeaway from all the big stories that came out of this week? We had a wild one last night on Sunday Night Football between the Steelers and the Chargers. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Great game. So much fun. Um, Not a whole lot of defense going on, but I I think that worked out okay for everybody, except for maybe the Steelers, who um, made a valiant effort to to come back in this game. And and they almost did it. The the Chargers were looking like they were going to charger it and – Instead, Pittsburgh ended up falling short. Um, But I I think the really, really interesting thing to talk about here is like, okay, we have to reevaluate again on the Chargers. Are are we back to buying in on Los Angeles? I don't know that. I mean, well, I guess, you know what? Let me put this to you guys first. Um, I will preface this only by saying that I don't know that beating Pittsburgh, that is, I think, not quite as good of a team, even as the record indicates, and the record is not that great. is super defining, but before I get into this, I, I want to kind of get you guys takes. So where are we at on the charts? How do they stack up against the rest of the AFC, which is a real mess, by the way. So it's hard to place anyone, but wait, take your best shot. What do you guys think? Yeah, I got this one wrong, not necessarily because I didn't think the Chargers could do what they did offensively. I got this one wrong because I didn't know they could do what they did defensively. They were giving up 155 rushing yards a game entering this game and largely shut down the Steelers ground attack. And the Steelers tried to commit to it. The Steelers kept trying to go back to it. But then especially towards the end of the game when Najee Harris went down briefly, um, you know, they're throwing either five receiver sets out or putting a running back in in the slot with Kellen Balaj. The Steelers looked better offensively. And I think a lot of us expected them to look, but they couldn't run the ball. It ended up being sort of an old school, uh, 
Ben Roethlisberger game when just it was just crossing route after crossing route after crossing route, uh, you know, relying on the matchups on the outside. This was a weird game from the standpoint where both teams sort of went against the grain, sort of defied expectations of some some things that they were terrible about. But at the end of the day, like you said, I'm not buying in on a Chargers team that just beat a Steelers team that was decimated defensively, just absolutely decimated. And even with the, the injuries in the defensive backfield, the injuries in the defensive line, you don't have Watt. I don't think Justin Herbert looked that good. Like he looked fine for most of the game, but then when it was crunch time, one of the reasons that the Steelers got back in it was that Justin Herbert looked confused again against a really, you know, porous banged up defense. And at the end of the game, the pass to Mike Williams was fantastic, but only happened because there was a massive, massive mistake in coverage for the Steelers. So at the end of the day, I think the Chargers are a great team. Not a like elite team, not a top of the NFL team, not a winning this year team. I think they're on their way to great things, you know, next year, the year after they're putting the building blocks in place, but I'm not buying them in on anything other than a playoff, you know, fringe contender, you know, where they can get in and, and get their butts kicked in the first round because this team is still ridiculously flawed. And I think a better opponent in weeks to come is going to re exacerbate those flaws for everyone to see. I think a lot of people just like the chiefs last week who did fantastic in prime time. I think a lot of people this week are going to get fooled because they saw a different chargers team last night than what we've been seeing for the entire season. Yeah. Last week at five thirty-eight, I wrote about how the chargers are using Justin Herbert and his propensity to be throwing sideways as opposed to down the field. Uh, It's got a lot of arm talent. He's got some good talented receivers. How come they are trying to dink and dunk with this guy? And they were able to connect for some big plays. Uh, They were able to get some plays from him on the ground. Uh, 90 yards rushing from Justin Herbert, not the game that we're used to seeing from him, Uh, but he was able to to open it up a little bit more and, and get the passing game going. And, you know, the Steelers defense doesn't look right. Neither defense looked right in this game. Hopefully that that opens the opens the throttle a little bit more for the Chargers going forward. But I still don't believe in either team to consistently play offensively the way they did. And uh, I, I still think it's it's anybody's game. These two, these two teams are directly competing against each other for what looks to be a wild card spot. And, and I think it's going to be week by week. The story is going to change. The narrative is going to change. And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to watch it play out. Hey, do you think we overvalue things that we see in primetime games, especially if they are like an exciting primetime game True. like this 1, one? One thousand percent. So, yeah, I mean, and this is especially with what Herbert did last night. It's like, oh, well, goodness, all of a sudden he's a, he's a tremendously good rushing quarterback. And, and okay, you know, he had, what, 90 yards on nine carries or something ridiculous like that that didn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense for somebody who's really not that type of quarterback. But, I mean, a lot of that is, you know, as you guys pointed out, know tj watt is out of this game and fitzpatrick is out of this game i think that probably has something to do with the fact why pittsburgh just wouldn't put a spy on him um because they just didn't have the personnel to do it in this situation or weren't comfortable doing it with the personnel that they had or what have you but didn't go great for them um it's a little hard to explain the four touchdowns from austin eckler too other than that that pittsburgh defense is just straight up bad um without the couple of key people who really kind of are the glue that puts that together but um yeah, I just, I mean, have to, I think, 
kind of mitigate this situation with the Chargers a little bit and say, okay, they played a great game. It was fun. It was exciting. They took advantage of an opponent that was kind of banged up and is quite frankly, in my opinion, not that good, uh, even when they are healthy. But until I think we see consistently good play calling on the offensive side of the ball, and Shadi, you made a great point about the the run game and about the Chargers being unable to stop the run. And then all of a sudden it's like Najee Harris can't do anything. This is bizarre. I need to see that again before I'm buying that from that defense as well. All right. I've got my key takeaway to get to. And this is a key takeaway that I think we've talked about before in various guises. The Packers were unable to, to close out against the Minnesota Vikings. They went down, they had a comeback. Looked like we were going to get an Aaron Rodgers special. Looked like we were going to get a Minnesota Vikings special, but they couldn't seal the deal. Kirk Cousins closes it out. They win an important game, and Aaron Rodgers afterwards says he has extra special turf toe. He's, he's got a toe injury. It hurts more than turf toe. Turf toe is very painful, but this his turf toe or whatever is going on with his toe hurts a little bit more than normal turf toe. And obviously, it, injuries are injuries. Pain is pain. That's going to limit him. That's going to be something we're going to have to manage. Uh, but it's it just it just felt like the most Aaron Rodgers thing to insist that that his toe injury hurts more than other normal people's toe injuries. So Aaron Rodgers has dorsiflexion hypertension to the hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint, wow. which is really just turf toe. That is the yeah. fancy word for turf toe. <laughs> so, yeah, as much as I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would like to believe that he has a scarier, more terrible, more fantastical version of turf toe because he's Aaron Rodgers. Of course he does, but he has the unvaccinated version of turf toe, the holistic turf toe. Ooh, I don't know. I But I remember, it's. I, I know there's been a lot of talk about turf toe and the fact that we minimize this because it sounds so stupid. Like, oh, what a silly thing to, oh, you stubbed your toe. Okay, well, you can still, it's incredibly difficult to play with this injury. But, you know, kind of homes with a lot of heat for this. People go, oh, it's turf toe. Not that big of a deal. And now Aaron Rodgers is out here saying, probably because people tend to minimize this, whether it's fair or not, that, you know, his turf toe is a, a very different turf toe from the other turf toes which of course it is but at the end you lost the football game to the minnesota vikings who are better than their record would indicate but perhaps not as good as the personnel on the field indicate that they should be and mike zimmer said in his post-game presser he said quote you know how they say sunday is fun day it's not and i Think, I feel like Mike Zimmer maybe could have backed off of like this sad Eeyore thing just for this week because, you know, you beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. That was Aaron Rodgers this week, right? He has the, the extra special turf toe. He's Eeyore this week, not you. All around the country this week, there will be backyard football games uh, thanks to people getting together for the holiday. And in most of those backyards, there will be instances where someone runs past another person, catches a touchdown, and the second that happens, the defender is going to pull up and pretend his hamstring hurts. Uh, that will happen a thousand times across backyards in the United States. And this is the post-game press conference version of that. Uh, you just got beat, <laughs> and now all of a sudden you have the extra special, really bad, no good, not very fun injury. Um, I have no doubt that uh, 
Aaron Rodgers' toe hurts. I have no doubt that turf toe is a much more serious injury than the phrase turf toe makes it sound. Um, In fact, I was going to make that point before Samantha made it. Instead, the point that I want to make is that I don't know if one player in the NFL deserves this more. Um, I don't wish injury upon anyone, but if Joe Rogan can't fix this, then maybe Aaron Rodgers just deserves to be quiet. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is, this is interesting for me because the Packers, this actually in terms of real football makes a big difference for both teams. Uh, The Packers have a big game for, again, for both teams against the Rams. Packers are trying to secure the number one seed in the NFC. The only seed that gets a buy trying to make sure they're hosting games instead of, traveling on the road in games in the playoffs and dropping this one hurts and now drops them behind the Cardinals who took care of business, even though their starting quarterback was hurt and didn't play. And now the Vikings, the Vikings are are three games back. They're probably not going to reel in the Packers, but it, it certainly keeps them alive in the playoffs. This is just a big, big win for the Vikings a big example of what we thought Kirk Cousins hasn't been able to do and a big example of what we thought Aaron Rodgers was always going to do, especially against the Vikings. It's just, it's a key result. It's a key takeaway. And Aaron Rodgers, owie toe is going to have to get better or he's going to have to play through it and, and, and deal with it a little more quietly if the Packers are going to get to where they want to be in the postseason. All right, we're going to get to what you want, which is our full slate of NFL picks brought to you by pickwatch.com. When we get back from the break here on three and out your national NFL podcast. We are back on three and out your national NFL podcast. It's our key takeaways Monday. Uh, We are going to go through our slate of NFL picks brought to you by pickwatch.com and take away key information from each one helping us understand what is going on for the rest of the season, helping you be smarter, helping you pick games better when we come back on the big show the middle of the week and pick next week's games. Over the last decade, more than 10 million people have used PickWatch to help source picks from the very best experts and users in both NFL media and the fan base at large. Now with PickWatch Pro, you can get advanced analytics and insights to take your game to the next level. Use offer code 3OUTPOD for 25% off your first year of membership. That's the word spelled out. T-H-R-E-E-O-U-T-P-O-D for 25% off your first year of PickWatch Pro. Go to pickwatch.com slash pro for more details. All right, Thursday night football. We thought the Falcons might be able to put up a bit of a fight. They did not. Pats 25, Falcons 0. Shadi, what do you think? So we're looking at a team that has a young quarterback that leans on an offensive line that's way better than people thought, an overperforming defense. It's a team that started late, um, but as the quarterback has gotten better, things have started to improve. They're ending the season on a tear. No, I'm not talking about the 2021 New England Patriots. I'm talking about the 2001 New England Patriots when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but some of the parallels are pretty stark. This is a much better team than people thought, and quite frankly, Mac Jones is making fools out a lot of us. Yep, Mac Jones is the third rookie quarterback ever to win his first five starts on the road. Patriots looking like the class of the AFC right now. Colts 41, Bills 15. A huge, huge statement game from Jonathan Taylor. Five touchdowns. Samantha, what do you think? 
Yeah, definitely a wild one. This is the first win against a quality opponent for the Colts, but the Bills, oh my goodness, I so much to unpack here. Can't get into all that here. We will hopefully talk about this on halftime tonight, but the weather seemed to hurt the Bills. I mean, that's kind of wild, yeah. but yeah. I mean, if there's a positive here for everybody, it's the 1,070th Sporigami in NFL history, 41 to 15. Oh, nice, nice. We all love a good score, Gami. Uh, the Colts, as I've said all season, much better team than people have given them credit for, but I didn't expect this. Like Jonathan Taylor just went off. Kudos, and the Bills lay yet another egg this season. Yeah, not much to say here. The Bills have got to get more consistent, especially games like these. These should be wins that they are picking up to add to their total and accumulating towards better playoff position, not dropping these right when they start counting. Ravens 16. Bears 13. I picked the Ravens here, but throughout the week at pickwatch.com, other places, I ended up liking the Bears more and more as, as I looked deeper and deeper into the numbers. I ended up picking them straight up and against the spread on pickwatch.com late, 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 as in like minutes before the game, just about. We found out Lamar Jackson was not going to play. I was feeling great about my pick. The Bears did cover a six-point spread, but they could not win the actual game. Shadi, what do you make of this? If, if you had Tyler Hunley beating Andy Dalton, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're an <laughs> idiot. Like, that's just, it's, it defies expectation. And I think Tyler Hundley is a better quarterback than most of us know about because he came out of Utah and most people, you know, have never watched him play before yesterday. But the Bears are just a really bad football team. They're poorly coached. They're poorly constructed. There's way too many holes. As good as people have wanted Justin Fields to be, he's not enough to cover over. And when he's gone, this team has nothing to get excited about. The Bears haven't won a game coming off a bye since 2013. And Matt Nagy, uh, perhaps knowing that, that his time is growing shorter, was having a bit of a fit on the sideline. He was not going for it, and then he changed his mind, and he was acting like the headset was broken, or perhaps somebody deliberately sabotaged the headset to save him from himself, and they ended up going for it and running some kind of wildcat. It was a disaster. It was a great encapsulation. If you watch one play of Bears football, just watch that 30 to 60 seconds right there. And that will tell you everything you need to know about what has gone on in Chicago this season. One funny note for me, Lamar Jackson, who continues to try and keep himself in the MVP conversation, misses this game. And the game goes about like how I thought it was going to go with him. Uh, and the fourth quarter comeback happens. All that same stuff. Same game script from the Ravens. Same game script from the Bears. Same result. Browns 13, Lions 10. This is the three and out bowl. Shadi and I came up through Lions fandom and Lions coverage. Samantha is a Browns fan. And uh, just like last week, this is a game all of us probably would rather forget rather than talk more about. Yeah, the three and out bowl, guys. Not great. Not great. Uh, <laughs> no, not great. Not wonderful. I, the highlight of this was Dan Campbell uh, talking before the game. Um, about his quarterback, Boyle, saying he lacks zero confidence. And I thought, okay, well, let's find out what that means. It turns out what that means <laughs> is 23 passes for 77 yards and two interceptions against the Browns team. It just looked absolutely awful. Browns fans had a complete meltdown again over the weekend. Could not have been worse. But guys, we're the trash bowl. I, I hate to say it, but we are. <laughs> Uh, Ryan McChrystal on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal, a colleague formerly of ours at Bleach Report, uh, pointed out that 
Per True Media, on third down the lines, throw the ball past the stick 17.2% of the time. That is by far the worst Ooh. in the NFL. In a one-score game, they only do it 9.2% of the time, and the next lowest is 21%. I don't care how little you trust the quarterback. I don't trust, or I don't care how bad Tim Boyle or how unprepared Tim Boyle was. If you can't even attempt to throw for a first down if your only weapon is hoping that the other team doesn't see the draw coming that is just bad coaching that is just playing not to lose as badly versus playing to win yeah Sadi, i can't help but notice anthony lynn came in for a lot of criticism over the opening couple of months for how bad jared goff was playing and people were trying to chalk it up to play calling it's becoming evident, A, there were no plays that you could call that would make Jared Goff play good. And B, since Dan Campbell has involved himself in the play calling, the play calling is significantly and obviously worse. I think Dan Campbell needs to uninvolve himself from the play calling, get back to motivating, and let Anthony Lynn continue to try to make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? Uh, I, I The one thing that I took away from this as positive is I did not think the Browns are going to be able to score enough points to cover a 10-point spread, and I was right. We. Texans, 22 Titans 13. Speaking of 10 point spreads, the Titans are 10 point favorites at home and the miserably terrible Houston Texans came in and beat them and, and Ryan Tannehill looked terrible in the process. Uh, Shadi, what do you think? I think that collectively more betters lost money, more suicide pools were broken and yes. more yes. fantasy games were lost uh, because of this game than maybe any other game in NFL uh, recent history. This one just defied expectations and everything we knew about the Titans, how they played the Rams, uh, how they've played some of the other top teams in the NFL. Absolutely everything we know didn't happen here. And the Titans are more than just a good team lacking Derrick Henry. The Titans are now all of a sudden a team searching for their identity again because uh just very quickly someone during the game tweeted out like is this your king and showed you know the the Tannehill being absolutely you know blasted in this one because he's been a efficient quarterback all season and efficient was the last thing that the Titans were this could just be a one-time thing this could just be looking past a non-quality opponent but man this is not the Titans team we've come to know and love yeah, I think I'm cautiously optimistic that this was just a fluke. It just seemed like one of those games where anything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Titans. It's a divisional game, so I will always caution that no matter how bad the opponent is, they tend to play a lot tighter under those circumstances. That's where you get a lot of your most bizarre upsets is from within your own division. Tennessee, uh, they turned the ball over five times, twice inside the 10. So I think that accounts for a lot of it. Some of that is luck. Some of that is just your worst day ever. I do wonder a lot about Tannehill. And I've been saying this since Derrick Henry went out. How well is that play actually going to function without Derrick Henry? But especially bad this week because the receiving course really banged up as well. I think Tennessee is going to get it together. But this is one of those games that I think you look at and say, uh-oh, now we know what we're capable of on the not so good at things. Yeah, I agree uh, Texans, uh, 
it, it, it's it's weird to me that they're continuing to ha- be feisty a little bit. It's like one of those like, don't you know you guys are supposed to be tanking, David Kelly? Don't you know you're not supposed to be coaching for real? Like who's 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 got you guys under the impression you're supposed to be going on the road and beating uh you know playoff and even title contenders? Uh, just fascinating stuff. Perhaps less fascinating. Dolphins play the Jets, win and cover. Samantha, you take anything out of this? Uh, no, no, I'm taking nothing out of this. The, the Dolphins have won three straight games, and that means nothing to me in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> uh, it does probably mean that Brian Flores is saving his job, uh, not necessarily just because he beat the Jets, but because he's, uh, you know, doing good things all of a sudden and was not doing any good <laughs> things earlier in the year. So when you can win three straight, um, yeah, I think that's probably job saving for Brian Flores and. Uh, at least as of right now, it looks like the tr- team is trending upward. So good on you, but this was still just the Jets. Yeah, I actually do have a takeaway. We are going to have to start talking about Tua Tagovailoa. Yes. We, he got quote unquote benched. You know, he, he was healthy enough to be the backup, but not healthy enough to start against the Ravens. Jacoby Brissett gets knocked out of that game. Tua comes in, plays great. They get a big win. He puts the exclamation point on it. Everybody goes, Tua's got to, to perform. He's got to pick up the banner. Now is the time. This is just his 15th start between all the injuries and, and getting benched and getting Fitzmagic, et cetera, et cetera. He goes out there, completes 27 of 33, 108 passer rating, gets a 65-yard touchdown pass that went 54 yards in the air. That breaks his personal longest completion record, which he set last week against the Ravens. And guys, they've got three patsies coming up. As it stands right now, they are favored to win in all three of those games, plus a bye. And again, right now, according to 538's ELO projections, they should be only one and a half point underdogs at New Orleans, who we'll get to very shortly. But this is a Dolphins team that could get back to 500 before their last two games. Tua Tagovailoa is playing very, very well. I'm, I'm fascinated by this and, and going to be tracking this and, and maybe writing about this sooner rather than later. But let's get to the Saints. Eagles 40, Saints 29. And we've been saying the Eagles are winning uselessly or, or irrelevantly for long enough now that they are five and six and in the picture and the Saints have dropped to five and five. Shadi, what do you think? So what I missed on this one, because I missed on this game big time, but what I missed was the ability for the Eagles ground game to really take over this one. Um, and that was, again, one of those inexplicable things that happened this week. I'm, I'm stealing this from Field Yates uh, over on Twitter. Uh, Saints run defense since the start of 2020 uh, against teams other than the Eagles. 3.4 yards per carry. Saints run defense since 2020 versus the Eagles. 5.7 yards per carry. Like, the Eagles can just run against the Saints for some reason. There's no real reason for it because the Saints have been a great defense this season and the Eagles for large part outside of games where Jalen Hurts has sort of taken over with his feet have not been a great rushing offense. So uh, I really thought that the Saints could stop a passing attack led by Jalen Hurts, a, a 
passing attack where, you know, they're moving the pocket, trying to get Dalen Hurts, you know, bending the defense in different ways as he did against the Broncos. Instead, the Eagles just came out, ran down the Saints' throat. The Eagles, or sorry, the Saints turned the ball over a couple of times. Uh, that was the difference in this one. I think this was a probably much closer game than the score indicated, but at the same time, the Saints could not get out of their own way and could not stop the Eagles running backs. Yeah, it was kind of an ugly game, and Trevor Simeon was so awful in the first half that they had such a large hill to climb when they came back in the second half, and, and they had a pretty good showing there, I think. But the really bizarre thing here is, as you were kind of pointing out, is that the, this team, the Saints, you know, the best rushing defense DVOA in the NFL coming into this game, and it was just an absolute mess. I'm still not sold on the Eagles even after this. By the way, I am going to need to see more than this. I just don't think they're very good. But they got their first win at the link. Uh, I think this is a, a little bit of an endorsement that we at least have to kind of wait and see on Nick Sirianni, a guy I think we're all really skeptical about coming into the season. And maybe, maybe he is a better coach than we all initially thought. Yeah, Sirianni uh, has kind of uh, Dan Campbelli and quote a few weeks ago is we're seeing growth underneath the soil and growth underneath the soil. What does that mean? Well, it means the Eagles are uh, three and one. And I think someone's number number three in point differential in terms of, you know, how much they're outscoring their opponents, which is usually a very strong predictor of upcoming future performance. Growth, growth under the soil also means they're a potato. <laughs> right, right. Well, there there are three yeah, maybe. potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're a pretty sweet potato. We'll say that. Washington football team 27, Panthers 21. This was the other bowl, the Ron Rivera Bowl. Cam Newton comes out, leads the Panthers, has some great moments, uh, uh, great highlights, uh, great feel-good story. Doesn't feel quite good enough to actually get the win. Samantha, what do you think? I love Cam, but I just want to talk about the Taylor Heineke feel-good story because he has been outstanding. I mean, he is playing his way into, oh, maybe you actually are the quarterback of the future for Washington football team. Now, nobody is suggesting he's any kind of future Hall of Fame or anything like that, but I think he has been so good. He's been especially good on third and fourth down. He had 206 yards and three touchdowns yesterday against what was the league's best defense coming into this game and led the league yesterday and averaged – depth of target just really really nice performance and oh by the way river boron is back guys he, he really kind of pulled <laughs> out some of the old whoa okay here we go and it worked against his old team so super fun there was this was a win-win for me because either cam wins or football team wins love it yeah i think you took the taylor heineke show which let's give him some sort of hardware at the end of the season whether it's most improved player or whatever uh he deserves something for what he's doing but also cam newton is starting to look like a guy who can actually not just run some gadget plays for the panthers but lead the panthers like this probably should have been a panthers win uh it was just sort of you know a couple of stunning drives late for a football team that did it uh the panthers are a flawed team but one has to wonder if cam noon had been their quarterback this entire time rather than you know paying his uh replacement then playing his replacement replacement then paying his replacement replacement with just him um yeah, I wonder if maybe this team would be a little bit further along, but they tried to re uh, rebuild everything, and it turns out the guy who was most capable had been there all along. It is a fascinating story. Both of these teams are fascinating stories. We're going to see if Taylor Heineke and Cam Newton can continue to deliver down the stretch. 49ers 30, Jaguars 10. 
And finally, we get back to kind of some semblance of normalcy here. Shadi, anything to take away from this one? No, I'm, I'm glad the 49ers took care of business. Uh, this is one of those games where maybe I was worried it was going to be a little bit closer. Uh, I actually wondered if maybe the Jaguars were going to cover the spread here. But at the end of the day, uh, the 49ers were the much better team and they played like it. Guys, this is the first game we've talked about on this slate that where nothing weird happened. That it, that it just <laughs> functioned like a normal football game. <laughs> and uh, also, Debo Samuel, uh, big star of last week's uh, episode yes, of Three yes. and Out on halftime. 79 yards on eight carries. Not catches, carries. Interesting. Yes, big, big debate on whether this is uh, uh, Debo can count as a top 10 wide receiver uh, if, if he's not always play wide receiver. Uh, but does it matter? Does it matter in the bottom line for this? Bengals 32, Raiders 13. Samantha, thoughts? Uh, well, uh, the what were we calling it? The, the Bisaccia bump, I think is what everybody was saying. Yeah, and yes, I think that yes. has died. Has died and moved on. Um, the Bengals had, I don't know if we call it a get right game, but a game that kind of, I think, puts them back into the conversation, at least in the wild card. The Raiders are fading, fading, fading really, really badly. They were so flat offensively. They just look like they have no identity anymore. Not convinced the Bengals are what we thought they were when they were kind of at their peak earlier this season. But I think the Raiders going the way of the Buffalo guys. <laughs> Yeah, much like I don't put any stock into beating the Jets, I don't put any stock into beating the Raiders at this point. Um, the Raiders' biggest problem is that their entire offense is built around, in fact, Derek, Derek uh, Carr's entire game is built around the idea that at any point you can take the top off the defense, at any point. And now they just can't do that. Without Henry Ruggs, uh, without some of the other you know speed that they had hoped to have at the beginning of the season, uh, the defensive backfield has started to show signs of wear and tear, especially when they're constantly being assaulted by a team like the Bengals. Uh, this is just a very flawed team that has gotten worse and worse and worse. And like you said, Bisaccia is was not the uh, cure-all uh, moving on from John Gruden. All right, Cardinals 23, Seahawks 13. Uh, a, a rough game for the NFC West birds of, of both feathers, but the Cardinals get the dub. Samantha, your thoughts? Hey, Colt McCoy. I, I will always bang the table for Colt McCoy. Yes, I know he is not great, but he is a pretty decent backup when you need him to be. And he had a pretty commanding drive to open this game, so I think that's pretty comforting for the Cardinals that they can win games like this even without Kyler. It allows them to exercise an abundance of caution and make sure he is 100% before he comes back out there. And Pete Carroll said it best after the game. He said, I'm just not any good at this. <laughs> respect to Pete Carroll for what he has done in the past, but he's not wrong. Yeah, if you had Colt McCoy winning two out of three while Kyler Murray was injured, like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, go go to Vegas, um, go work for the U.S. government because we need someone with those mental powers. Um, however, the biggest takeaway from this one is at the end of the game when Pete Carroll was having that uh, press conference. That is the first time I think in the last like 70 years where he has looked tired. Uh, he has always been just surprisingly youthful and he's, he's done. Yeah. Like whether yeah. he thinks he's done or not, he is done and there needs to be some sort of transfer power. And in fact, there's so many issues with that front office as well with some of the draft picks they've missed on in recent years uh, since like their early heyday and not a lot of shuffling has gone on since then where we might see some sort of situation where Pete Carroll takes over front 
office duties, whatever it is, like he is no longer an NFL head coach, uh, whether he knows it or not. Yeah, it's been fascinating to me seeing this where we've gone from, you know, John Schneider and Pete Carroll built the Legion of Boom. They drafted Russell Wilson. They went all in on him from the very beginning and 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 just made right call after right call after right call. They broke the bank to keep the whole Legion of Boom around. And then possibly too late, they started transitioning the personnel to focus around Wilson and and ever since then it's just been this continuous miss around how do we build around russell wilson how do we keep him uh say hey you know maybe we can save money by drafting only bad offensive linemen like what you know this is just just bizarre and now we're in this late stage where russell wilson has been the biggest thing going for them plus those two receivers and now because he is hurt and not able to play like he can play they've just got nothing and it feels like russell wilson is the last piece standing as opposed to where he was you know eight ten years ago where they're thinking oh we've got all these pieces and russell wilson is just good enough uh the fascinating turn and and I, i'm curious to see what schneider and, and carol and all those guys do if they even get the chance to do them because this is this is not what people are paying for up in the pacific north all right you guys don't have to pay anything to watch us watch Giants at the Bucks. Two teams uh, sort of trending in different directions. Uh, Shadi, you have a sneak preview of this one? Games like this one are where the Giants have tended to perform their best. I don't mm. like them in this one. I do like them to make this one close. Um, if we are just looking at trends, the Giants are probably the better team right now uh the buccaneers need to show and i think they win this one so i guess i'm predicting that they do they need to have a get right game they need to have you know not the first time that tom brady has ever lost three in a row or whatever the first time in a long time they need yeah. to have a get right game but i do think that the giants are going to come out swinging in a way you know reminiscent of what dan campbell tried to do against the rams early in the season you know you're a huge underdog you've got just enough offensive talent to sort of throw enough stuff at a wall and hope it sticks and the Buccaneers defense is pretty crappy so um, I look for the Giants to come out and make this game at least interesting and then maybe Tom Brady to take over late so I have but one talent and it is calling Giants upsets um, and I did not call this one so uh, I don't think that's <laughs> gonna happen sorry everybody as much as we know Tom Brady has he's had some very very infamous struggles against the Giants past uh 2008 2012 <laughs> super bowl y'all but um yeah i don't think so um I, i'm sort of intrigued by the giants i, I like where they're going um I, I think they are headed in an interesting direction I, I still think they are poorly coached but i think that that team is maybe better than we thought it was and maybe the bucks are a little weaker than we thought but those two things still do not equal a giants win so yeah we'll have to wait and see it's gonna be fun to talk about this tonight when we're on the air with halftime and talk to all of you but right now, I'm just not seeing this going the Giants' way. <laughs> yeah, I think the Bucks probably win this game. Uh, but I love the Giants to cover here. Uh, Tampa Bay is four and zero at home, but two and three on the road. The Giants are five and four against the spread, and the Bucks are three and six. Uh, the the Giants are getting 10 and a half points, which is a huge number at home. I just, everything seems to be trending towards this. The Giants come up with 
at least a good game. And, and that's what I need against the spread. I don't know if they come up against the win, uh, but it should be interesting from the nine o'clock ET hour through the 10 o'clock ET hour, maybe a little later, depending on how loose the ties get on our halftime show. We hope you will be there. Make sure you download the halftime app either on your app store or at the halftime.app, the halftime.app. Follow us on that app, Ty Shelter, Samantha Bunton, and Shoddy. Uh, those, those handles are verified accounts. You'll see us on the schedule. If you click home and click the now tab, you'll see the three and out live show. Cannot wait to join you, take your questions, answer your questions, and react to the game with you. In the meantime, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spreaker. I want to thank the Pride of Detroit crew for writing up our our big 100th episode and our interview with Jack Fox. That was awesome. We want to thank everyone who's left five-star ratings, who've left five-star reviews for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they have because they help us build momentum. We are going to continue to grow the show. We're going to continue to do great things, and we want you to be along there with us. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss our big show Wednesday. We'll have a big guest for you, like always, right here on 3 and Out, your national NFL podcast.